Good to uh, see you this morning. There was just one uh, thing that kind of disturbed me about the baptism this morning. Did you notice like how easy those young men got in and out of the baptismal? <laughs> like, like that's me, that's not happening. Amazing, amazing. Pretty cool to see those young men be baptized this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we are in our uh, third message on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, today's uh, message is about sexual sin. I'm just going to let it out of the bag right now. Matthew 5, verses 27 through uh, 30, and, and uh, that's how you quiet a crowd right there, right? You just announced that one. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take uh, your Bible out and turn uh, with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 27. And you know this about uh, our society and, and how it encourages uh, um, sexuality. And, and we are absolutely bombarded with sexual messages in, in the movies that we watch, in the books that we read, the, the TV shows that or on our te- even the commercials uh, that come on our TV sets. A lot like Super Bowl's coming up. We usually have a little Super Bowl thing here at the church, and we have to like assign somebody for commercial watch, right? Because we know what, what, what's going to happen. Our culture, our society has just adopted this idea that sex sells. And I found this statistic. I thought it was... Uh, absolutely astonishing in our society right now, the number of average uh, life partners for men is 6.1. Uh, for women, it's 3.6. And so this idea of getting married for life is, is not the, the pattern of our culture today. But, but I want you to realize this. I want you to realize that sexual sin is, is not just a today problem. Right? It's been around for a long time. It, it, it might be more talked about. It, it might be more out there. It might be more celebrated today, but it's been around for a long time. And people in every generation have struggled with it. And living a, a pure life is it's difficult, and there's no question about that. But it's always been difficult. Throughout history, there have been cultures in which it's been considered acceptable to have mistresses, for example, right? Temptation is nothing new. And so when Jesus addresses this topic, he is not speaking to people so far removed from our experience, like his teaching is not applicable. That's not what is going on here. He is just as relevant today as he was the the day that he spoke on this particular topic. So, So in this passage, Jesus talks about how to deal with sexual temptation. And really, it's the same principles uh, here applied to, to, to all sin, right? He, he uses sex as the example because for many, that's a, a, a problem. And so if there is a sin that you struggle with like day in and day out, and, and, and maybe you have a sin in your life that kind of just, you know, it's got your number. Jesus shows us how we can 
break the power of that sin. Three things that, that we can do. So go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me uh, as we look at this passage uh, today. So three way, ways to break the power uh, of sin. Number one is to look away. In 1975, Jimmy Carter uh, did an interview in which he admitted uh, that he committed adultery in his heart because he had looked lustfully at a a woman. And I I remember this, and I remember that the comedy late-night shows had a field day with this. Right? They got a lot of laughs at Jimmy Carter's expense when, when, when the reality was is that he's just being honest and he admitted to a sin that, that if most of us were honest, we probably have committed as well. When Carter made that statement, he was referring to the verses that, that we're studying this morning. Verse 27 and 28 say this. You, you have heard it was said. You shall not commit adultery but I say to you everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed uh, adultery with her in his heart so so as we break down these verses once again we see this section start off with that phrase that we saw last week you have heard that it was said So, so Jesus is dealing with what they had heard regarding the law of, uh, of adultery. And of course, the teachers of that day taught that uh, adultery itself was wrong. right? But they applied the law only to their actions and not to the heart. And so Jesus explains that it is possible to commit adultery or murder like we saw last week in our heart. And that this is also a sin prohibited by the command against uh, adultery. And so what Jesus, uh, I don't think, is not saying is that the act of adultery and adultery in the heart are the, the same thing. And I think more of a few people have missed this point. They, they, they kind of say, well, I've already committed this sin in my heart, so I might as well just go do it. That's not what he's saying. And Jesus' point is not to say that, that, that that's the same thing thing but they both are sin and both are not allowed by this command against adultery and and i think this principle applies to much more than just men looking at women or vice versa it applies to just about anything that we covet with our eyes and with our mind and since jesus considers adultery in the heart a sin we know that what we think about, what we allow to into our heart and, and what we rest on is a choice that we make. A lot of people believe they have no choice and therefore no responsibility for, for, for what they think about. But, but that contradicts the teaching of Jesus here. We may not be able to control passing thoughts or, or feelings or whatever, but we certainly decide where our heart and our mind will rest. It's the same idea we talked about last week. week. Having contempt for another person hurts us spiritually, even if you never act on that contempt. And and hateful thoughts build a barrier between people in the same way. Having lustful thoughts hurts us spiritually, even if we never act on those thoughts. And we need to keep in mind that, that thoughts 
precede action. Thinking about something paves the way for you to do it. And so to break the stronghold of sin in our lives, we can begin by by looking away, right? Diverting our eyes. In the commentaries that I read on this passage just last week, it emphasized that the Greek verb here for looking refers to one who continues to look with deliberate intent. And I realize that it's hard in our culture, in this country, without being confronted with provocative images and messages, but we don't have to look or listen with deliberate intent. We can look away. We can turn the channel. We, we can get, get up and leave the theater. We, we can take the book back to the library, even before you finish it. It's okay. Right? It's the same with all temptation. The longer that you look, the stronger the temptation. So just look away. So secondly, to break the stronghold of sin in our lives, we can, we can cut it out. It's verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it uh, away. For it is better that you lose one, lose one of your members than your whole body go uh, into hell. Now this, uh, obviously Jesus is using a figure of speech here. It's not like literal, right? So sin's not a matter of the eye or the hand. It's what? It's a matter of the heart. And what Jesus is saying is to get rid of whatever it is that's causing you to sin. Cut it out of your life. So, so if being in a certain situation is too tempting for you, then, then resist, avoid the situation. And sadly, some have taken this literally and have actually mutilated themselves in a wrong effort to pursue holiness. For, for example, there was this famous early Christian named Origen, and, and he castrated himself uh, based on the principle of this passage. And the trouble with that literal temp, uh, interpretation is that it doesn't go far enough, right? So even if we did cut off our hand or gouge out an eye, you could still sin with what? The other hand, the other eye, right? And even if those are gone, you can especially sin with what? With your mind. And so the point here is that it's more profitable for us that if one of our hands or eyes dies, then for your whole body to be cast into hell. And Jesus is simply stressing the point that one must be willing to sacrifice to be obedient. And that's one thing that a lot of times we struggle with and many times we're unwilling to do. And that's why we remain trapped in sin. So, so whatever it is, well, whatever you have to do to keep yourself out of situations that cause us to sin, just do that. Right? Cut it out. It's better to be without TV or without a date or without a promotion than be trapped in sin. And so to break the stronghold of sin in our life, we cut out what we have to cut out. Okay, and then thirdly this morning is that we guard uh, your heart. Right, We can look away from temptation. We can avoid sinful situations. You can't completely eliminate temptation. And it's because the desire, what? Comes from our heart. 
right? You can get rid of the internet, but you still have a TV. You can smash your TV, but you still have your phone, right? right? Or books or magazines or billboards or other people or whatever. There's no way that we can totally escape all temptation. In the fourth century, there was this guy that tried to escape the temptation of immorality, and so he became a hermit, right? He lived alone in the Egyptian desert for 30 years, all by himself. Near the end of his life, you know what he wrote? 30 years of being by himself, he wrote, he still struggled with lustful thoughts. Right? It's because temptation is more about our heart than, than our surroundings. Now, I get our surroundings play a part in all this, but we must deal with our heart if we want to deal with temptation. I love Psalms 51, verse 10. Create in me a, a clean heart, O God, right? and renew a right spirit in me. The, the, the word create there is a word that is really rightly put there in a single act of creation, causing something to exist where there was nothing before. It's a word that, that is used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God what created the heaven and the earth, and which is commonly used to express this act of, of creation. It is used here, evidently, in the sense of, of causing that to exist which did not exist before. Right? It's a, and there's a clearly a recognition of divine power or at least a feeling on the part of David anyway, that this could only be done uh, by God alone. And the idea is this. The idea is that it's not that, that there's this new substance that might be brought into being, which is what we call a clean heart. That's not what, what's going on here. But, but it says that we might, that we might what? Have a, a clean heart. That, that, that is that the current heart might be made pure. That, that his affections and feelings might be made right. That, that he might have what he has known all along that, that he doesn't have, but now possesses. And that is a clean and pure heart. And I think David knew that this only could be produced by the power of God. And the passage proves that his doctrine of the Old Testament and the, New, and the New Testament, that the human heart is changed only by God himself. So in order for us to break sin's hold on us, we must experience what? A changed heart. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And maybe you were here a couple of weeks ago. I talked about verse Two, the word pure there means cleansed or purged. And and if your heart is not pure now, I want you to know that that you can be cleansed. That's the work that Jesus does in our lives. And Jesus wants to purify and cleanse our heart. And part of that purification is for us to eliminate external distractions so we can look away we can avoid sinful situations and we can learn to focus on the internal by reading the word of god right by spending time in prayer by fellowshipping with other believers and so i want you to know this morning that if you are struggling with a particular sin the apostle 
Paul said this in, in Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but, but under grace. Spurgeon said that these words give us a, a test, a promise, and an encouragement. It, it, it's a test of our claim to, to be Christians, right? So we have to ask ourselves the question, does anger have dominion over us? Does complaining have dominion over us? Does, does covetousness have dominion over us? Does pride or, or laziness have dominion over us? But because if sin has dominion over us, we have to seriously ask the question if we're true followers of Christ. And then the promise, it's a promise of victory. It doesn't say that sin will not be present in you, right? That that'll take, be taken care of one day in resurrected glory. But it does promise that sin will not have dominion over us. But because of the work that Christ has done when we are born again. And then finally, it's an encouragement for hope and strength in the battle against sin. Because God hasn't condemned you under the dominion of sin. He has set you free in Jesus. It's an encouragement for the Christian that's struggling against sin. It says that for you're not under the law, but under grace. It means that we can live in this freedom. And it will never happen in a legalistic, performance-oriented Christian life. It happens as we don't live under the law, but under grace. And the law clearly defines God's standard, and it shows us that we fall short of it. But it cannot give the freedom from sin that grace provides. Remember, grace reigns through Righteousness, Romans 5, 20 and 21. Grace, not law, provides the freedom and the power to live over sin. And this shows us again that a life lived truly under grace will be a righteous life. And grace is never a license to sin. To, to say that being under grace is an excuse for sinning is a sign that, that, that one's really not under grace at all. For, for the Jewish person of Paul's day, living under the law was everything. The, the, the law was the way to God's approval. And now Paul shows that in the light of the new covenant, we're not under the law, but under grace. And his work in our life has, has changed everything. And Paul has answered the questions from Romans 6.1, why don't we just continue in habitual sin so that grace may abound? He says, no. Because when we are saved, our sins are forgiven and God's grace is extended to us. And we are radically changed, right? The old man is dead, the new man lives. In the light of those changes, it is incomparable or incompatible for a new creation in Christ to be comfortable with habitual sin. And John says the same thing in another way in 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He goes on to say in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 
And you know those changes may not come all at one time. But they will be there and they will be real. And they will be increasing as time goes on. It's like a caterpillar, right? A caterpillar has been made a butterfly. And the butterfly has no business crawling around on trees and leaves like a caterpillar again, right? God has changed our nature by his grace. And so when we sin, we should be a fish on dry land. We should be out of our element, longing to get back into our right state again. And we can have victory over sin. Well, whether it's lust or pride or anger or greed or whatever it may be, we can look away, we can cut it out, we can guard our heart. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for uh, the Sermon on the Mount today. Thank, thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. God, thank you for the pathway that you've laid out for us to overcome. You know, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage that you would consider to do that today. Just to pray and to tell God that you understand that you're a sinner and that Christ died on the cross for your sin. Tell him that you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and ask him to come into your heart and life. And then, God, I pray that that even this week, God, that you would put somebody in our path that we might be able to share the truth of the gospel with. Just to be able to tell them, God, that they can be a new creation in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.